Hi, Gary Stone from Sharewell Systems here. Sure, you may be trading stocks, ETFs, CFDs, futures, or even cryptos and FX, but how do you invest the money that really counts, including your retirement savings? Do you do it yourself, or do you feel you lack the strategies and confidence and have instead entrusted your retirement to a managed fund or financial advisor? Or to somebody else to grow and protect your biggest investment? Go to sharewellsystems.com and download a case study that dissects a real money portfolio, which has achieved a return of double the ASX 200 accumulation index since January 2016. Sharewell Systems is proudly powering the spotty Your Call Hour right here on Ticker. Well, hello and welcome everyone to Australia's Hour of Investing Power. This is Spotty streaming to you live in lockdown from Melbourne Town. And it's the last day of the Spotty Week, which means, well, we'd love to hear from some newbies out there, some uh, long-time, first-time uh, questioners. Uh, and remember, of course, to tell your friends about Spotty. Just get them to go to the website spotty.com.au and there's more than enough to lead them down the path to enlightenment there. Uh, look, uh, last month, actually, uh, a ticker tells me that we had some 100,000 viewers of our content, uh, be it live on social media or YouTube, uh, and we're growing in size and influence. So thank you to all of you for your support, uh, and no doubt you've received some wonderful tips from our audience. I tell you, we've been absolutely counting money in the last few days. But of course, we've been welcome, sorry, questions uh, from all of you who are experienced. And now all you need to do is send them through right now because we're going to answer them live on air. So how do you do that, folks? Well, text us 0480-079-089 or you can email us question at spotty.com.au. Of course, you will see those details appear at the bottom of the screen throughout the show. So let's bring in today's chief spotters, starting with our, well, he's a great friend of the program. He's the Pied Piper of the investment community. It's Andrew Page from The Straw Man. G'day, Andrew, how are you doing? Okay, Andrew, now I need you to tell us a little bit about who you are, because there might be some people tuning in for the very first time, um, and also the company that you built, Strawman, and the wonderful community that you've built. Oh, yeah, thanks, Ilya. My, my name is Andrew. I'm a private investor, first and foremost. I've been doing that uh, pretty seriously now for over 10 years. Um, we created a platform called Strawman, which is really to try and engage investors in a more accountable, transparent and practical kind of manner. So yeah, we've hit about 11,000 users growing strongly and getting some really good results on there. Okay, and of course you can go to strawman.com and join the community yourself folks to see what it's like to be part of a real investing community, especially when you read everyone's commentary in regards to stocks. It's not just a, a few lines with three rockets at the end, there's actually a little bit more work uh, that goes into it. Uh, next, our second guest. Well, he's quickly becoming a favourite, though it took us a while to get him on the show, but he's cooking with gas now. It's Michael Gable from Fairmont Equities. G'day, Michael. How are you doing? Good, Elio. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Very well. Now, um, again, for those that may not be familiar with who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your investment style, and also the empire that you're building there at Fairmont Equities. <laughs> Yeah, so I founded Fairmont Equities uh, about seven years ago now. Um, so we have a small team here. We help manage people's money. Um, and we do that through a combination of fundamental and technical analysis. So basically trying to, uh, to pick the good companies and then use the charts to help us get in at the right times. Um, but most importantly, just help us on the risk management side as well. Um, basically letting us 
letting us know when's the best time to get out of something before um, it does a lot of damage. So although we do manage money for people, um, we do produce a lot of um, content uh, every week. So if anyone would like to, to access that, which is free, um, they just have to go to fairmontequities.com and put an email address down and, um, and join our community, which is, um, is pretty strong at the moment. Yeah, and of course, uh, you're also quite prevalent on uh, social media and the like. And people can ask you questions there too, where you then do a little video and you showcase uh, your expertise uh, uh, there as well. So uh, welcome aboard, Michael. So we're locked and loaded, folks. All we now need now are your questions. So send them in uh, right now. Those details will appear at the bottom of the screen, as you can see. Before we get started, though, just a gentle reminder that the uh, all the information in today's show is of a general nature only. None of it takes into account your objectives, uh, financial situations or needs. And therefore, should you decide to act on any of it, you need to do so in light of your own personal circumstances. Past performance is no indicator of future performance, of course. And if you wish to speak to anyone about any of the content covered in today's session you need to do so with an advisor who's licensed to talk to you about it oh and remember that some uh, of our guests uh, may very well hold interest in the stocks that are discussed they may disclose it on the show um, or they uh, may not if you have any questions by all means feel free to contact them uh, directly in order to seek any clarification and for the next hour spotty is proud to be powered by our friends uh, at sharewell systems uh, since 1995 sharewell systems have helped investors protect and grow their share portfolio with a rules-based investing approach that gives them an edge over others. If you wish to learn more about the team powering our spotlights and how you too can be the tortoise and win the race of investing life, then either watch yesterday's episode of Spotty where we had Gary Stone join us or go to sharewealthsystems.com and be sure to read all the relevant information before making any investment decision. Now today, folks, we learned that Australia is officially in recession for the first time in 29 years after posting a 7% fall in June quarter GDP. It's the biggest uh, fall since records began in 1959. Uh, even worse, if you go back prior to those uh, records commence. So how would our market react, you think? Well, we're actually up very strongly. We're up 1.6% uh, at the moment on the back of the news. Of course, it was all known, all priced in, as they say in the classics, but there continues to be a strong pull from the US, which continues to go up and equity markets continue to do the same. But if you look a little deeper, you'll see that it's not all healthy for everyone. And gentlemen, that's where we're going to start. Um, there was a uh, question, I'll pull it up on screen now. It came from Kevin, who actually asked it the other day. Sorry, we couldn't get to it, Kevin, but we're opening it with now on this show. Gentlemen, Telstra, it's hit multi-year lows. Uh, yesterday, it has bounced a little bit um, off that low uh, today. He would like us to assess Telstra as an entity and an investment opportunity. Andrew, has the company missed the boat of the whole, you know, I suppose, telecommunication transformation that's occurring there? Is it still in the front seat um, or has uh, Mr. Penn lost his gloss? Look, Telstra has just been having to deal with very difficult um, uh, changes, structural, big um, long-term structural changes in the industry. Of course, it no longer has that monopoly status. It's now, uh, you know, on more or less equal playing field with everyone else in terms of the NBN. They're having fights with the government over wholesale pricing and arguing for that to be unsustainable. They've got these legacy fixed line businesses, which are just transitioning, you know, which are just on their way out altogether. I mean, who has a, a landline these days? Yeah. Um, some parts of the business are going okay, but when you zoom back and you look at Telstra, you know, earnings have been pretty much declining on the decline for five or so years now. 
Um, I still think Telstra will be around for many, many years. There's no question of that. It, it's, it's just hard to get a handle on where is the overall growth going to come from. I think when, when you look at the consensus guidance and go out as far as they go, there's, there's actually no growth sort of priced in. So that's okay. Um, that's, that's not terrible, but it means that, that you need to sort of factor that into your valuation. Uh, they're paying, I think, 15, 16 cents a share at the moment, fully franked. Uh, they've got good cash flows to support that. Again, I look at the guidance and I sort of see that sort of coming down a bit. So really, if you want a yield of about 6% or so in franking, and for, and for a business that's that's really hasn't done anything and, and looks to be on the decline earnings-wise, albeit a very sort of slow one, um, I, I think that's about the yield that I would I would kind of want. So so for me, it's never say never, but A, there's far better opportunities out there, and, and, and B, I think you'd, you'd be much better as an investor if you could get in below 250 or so. Now, Michael, I know you appear on a number of different mediums and the like answering people's questions. I'd be floored if you hadn't been asked about Telstra and its performance in recent times. It obviously took the hard decision to cut its dividend quite a few uh, uh, months ago where obviously it was not sustainable. It couldn't be maintained at that rate. People thought maybe that was it. With 5G coming, this was the opportunity they needed to rebase and grow. Market's telling us something else, though. What's your view? Um. Yeah, look, the short of it is I don't like it. I wouldn't buy it. I think it's a waste of time. Um, I mean, even just a few weeks ago, one of my little free videos, um, I highlighted the chart of Telstra and just showing that this thing just looks like it's going to continue sliding and, and and that's what we've got. I mean, uh, Andrew summed it up well in terms of their earnings. Uh, I mean, I don't see any reason to be buying something that's, that's not growing. I mean, we're investing in the market because we're after a return on our investment. And, you know, Telstra just hasn't provided that. And I think what investors need to do is, you know, factor in the capital return um, alongside the dividends. And it, it, it sort of makes me angry when I see new clients come to me with a portfolio and they've got yeah. this, this huge position in Telstra and banks because their previous advisor, in inverted commas, um, said, look, you know, if you're after yield, this is what you need to do. But... Uh, you know, the dividend means nothing if you're just destroying your capital along the way. And that's what Telstra's done. It's, you know, there should be a Royal Commission into recommending Telstra over the <laughs> years. I mean, it's been on a downward slide for however many years now. It's not new. Um, you know, it's all this isn't new information. We know that it's a, just a poor investment. And I just don't really see that improving, um, especially down here, the market down at these levels in an economy that will recover from what is now a recession, there's just going to be so many more opportunities out there um, for share price growth. You're not going to get in Telstra. I mean, you might try to talk about, well, maybe uh, if they spin off their infrastructure assets, which the companies deny that they're going to do at the moment anyway, but yeah. even if they were to do something like that, well, you end up with an infrastructure asset that does nothing as well anyway. I mean, I just don't, I just don't see the upside. I just don't think you need to be looking at it. Look, great commentary, gentlemen. Thank you very much. And unfortunately, Telstra's going to have to ticket, take a ticket on that uh, Royal Commission there because uh, AMP has got first dibs. Um, Andrew, we're going to go to a video question now. Um, it comes from Phil, one of the great uh, uh, spotties of our program. He's a regular contributor. Thank you very much. Actually, we'll play the video and then we'll discuss. Uh, take it away, uh, Mike. Hi, Elio. I was looking for some insight into Citadel Group. I've been enjoying the ride up when I noticed it broke its downtrend and I was really impressed by its results recently with 
Revenue growth up 30% and EBITDA up 25%. Uh, the stock hasn't moved much since. Is this because the results were anticipated or is there still some really bad sentiment against this stock? It's an interesting one, Andrew. I know you're um, an observer of this business. And as Phil has said, the, the underlying numbers uh, have for some time been quite solid, but then it has these little whipsaw moments that sort of freak investors out. And it had been going sideways. It was down the last time I checked. Not sure if it's down today, but I know you know this business quite well. Are you able to uh, shine the light on uh, Citadel Group code CGL for those playing at home? Um, in yes, regards yeah, to sure. what's impacting the price there. Yeah, and, and I, I, should, I should disclose too, I am a shareholder. Um, uh, so I, I do like the business. The, the Citadel is a very different business today than, than it was not that so long ago. So they, they are broadening more into soft, uh, software and away from uh, IT services. And with a very heavy focus in the UK, uh, in health and in, and in the UK in particular with the acquisition of wellbeing. So, we did see some really good numbers. Um, a big part of that was the well-being acquisition, although we've still got uh, a full year's worth of earnings to sort of um, come in uh, on that. But I, I think the interesting thing with Citadel is it's, it's got a lot of impressive business characteristics. The, the software side of the business is a lot more attractive than the services side. So you get better margins, you get more recurring revenues. They're very, very sticky products. Wellbeing is very well entrenched and gives them a great foothold to sort of upsell and cross-sell their other offerings in, into the UK market. We know that there's a very big structural shift underway. Uh, other companies like Alcidian are talking about the opportunity, particularly in UK healthcare uh, technology at this point in time. So there's a great opportunity there. Um, and, and what I like about it at this point in time, and I must admit, I was, I was way too early in buying it, but it, it, it doesn't really need to shoot the lights out to deliver a good return for investors here. These guys are sort of guiding, they think long-term sustainably, that they can sort of get 11% uh, earnings growth compound out of that. You can take that down a bit and apply some pretty modest uh, multiples and still get a decent return as an investor. And I, I love that asymmetry. So um, it, it's, it's kind of that heads I win, tails I don't lose too much if I get it wrong, which, which is nice. So I, I think the current valuation, I, I looked at it a few weeks ago, I came up with a figure of about $4.70. Um, so it, it's about fair, but again, that's a very low, low ball sort of assumptions uh, mixed into that. I would say in terms of what's happening with the share price at the moment, I don't know. I, I never know. Um, I don't even try to know. It's not, it's not relevant to me. I, I'm buying this because I want to be a, a participant in the business's success over the next three years plus. And um, so I, I, just, I just think the value's there. And when the value's there, if you buy, I think in the long term, you tend to do pretty well. Yeah, so Citadel at the moment down 3.8% uh, to $4.31, sitting around that mark that... Uh, uh, you're referring to, uh, Andrew, and hopefully, Phil, that provides you with some guidance there. The other hot topic, Michael, if I can get you to open the batting on this one that everybody is talking about at the moment, is the what's occurring in the buy now, pay later space, particularly over the last two days, um, as news started to filter through on Tuesday morning that um, uh, PayPal was entering the buy now, pay later space. The elephant in the room is getting a little aggressive and is looking to take on some of those little annoying nitpickers that were looking to penetrate the market. The sector has been sold off again today. Uh, the worst of uh, which, if I just go to my screen here, is actual zip pay. And it's the topic of Peter's question, um, but we've got Sezzle down another 8% uh, today. So we split it. Afterpay, interestingly, is only down 1.5% at the moment. 
All of them, though, are off their lows so far today. The question is, has the bubble finally burst on this sector? Is, um, is now the time that uh, investors who have ridden this wave, and I'm assuming they've been on it for quite some time because everyone else in the last few days has just been watching at it, wishing they'd been in. So anyone who is in probably has been in for a while. Is now the time for them to um, be a little bit cautious because obviously if you know, we're talking about a company in PayPal that has you know, 300 uh, million, either uh, 300 million business accounts as well as consumers as a conglomerate, they operate in something like 200 markets. They're huge. This is only a small part of it, but they're protecting their turf. Is it something they've got to be worried about, Michael? Look, it's something to be worried about. And I mean, competition threats were, were always there. I mean, you know, you look at Afterpay and the margins um, and potentially how easy it is to get into that market. There was always a threat. And um, we have seen, you know, the likes of Visa and MasterCard try to... Um, uh, get involved to some extent over the last couple of years, but that's in some ways been brushed off. Um, I think it's still too early to say if the bubble's burst. I mean, there will be, I mean, this is a bubble forming. I mean, there's no there's no doubt about it. That doesn't mean that that I'm not having a dabble in, in some of these stocks for, for people because, you know, look, there's a lot of money flow in that sector and I think they'll have another run. Uh, I think after the moves of the last few days, they'll, they'll bounce back. Um, they may well just use up a little bit more time until uh, the market's ready to, to push them higher again. But uh, I think they'll have another another move higher. And I think at the end of the day, the likes of Afterpay and Zip, I mean, they're fairly well entrenched at the moment. So, you know, they'll, they'll probably do okay in the end. Maybe some of the smaller players uh, may struggle, but they may well be open to, um, uh, you know, they may well be acquired by by a larger player. I guess the, you know, the exciting thing about this sector, um, for want of a better word, is is the fact that it is hard to gauge, you know, what are these, you know, what are these companies worth? I mean, based on what they're making at the moment, you know, they're making a loss, they're, they're priced at, at, at crazy levels. I mean, how do you justify it? But, you know, at the moment, it's just a big gray area. And, um, you know, I think while the momentum's there, there's money to be made. But, you know, in terms of are these a long-term hold? If you buy it today, you know, I think that's a hard one to that's a hard one to answer. I think you really have to have your, um, you know, you've got to be on your toes if you're if you're having a double in this sector. Now, Andrew, it's, it is a topic we've talked about though quite a number of times, and I like to bring in a line that you mentioned in one of the programs once, where you said, if Afterpay hits its long-term targets and its aspirational, let's call it big, hairy, audacious goals. Um, then we'll be looking at Afterpay in 10 years' time and going, wow, how cheap was it back at $80? Of course, there's a lot of water to pass under the bridge and, you know, many things can cause a river to change its path. Is the entry of PayPal the thing that possibly puts up a bit of a dam in regards to Afterpay's prospects? Um, or do you think that the true believers who bought into it prior to the recent developments would still have reason to maintain the faith? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really uh, tenacious question, this one. So Michael's right. You look at this on current sales multiples and it just, it just seems uh, really ridiculous. Um, however, that being said, there's, there are, there's plenty of great companies that have always looked expensive and have delivered incredible returns. I mean, Amazon is the one that everyone points to. Yeah. So you don't want to just brush it aside straight away. I mean, you've got to remember that, you know, these guys who had 40 million in revenue 
two years ago. And now with the quad pay acquisition, Zip is, is like $250 million in revenue. So those, those multiples come down very, very, very fast. So I'm, I'm not someone who's going to throw these aside automatically and just say, oh, they're, they're crazy. But, but I'm very cognizant of the risks. And I think that what is in the price at the moment doesn't allow for any of these risks. So the PayPal risk is, is a new one. There's a, there's a thousand of them out there as well. So we use this term priced for perfection, which, which kind of means that if everything goes perfectly, you might get a decent return. But if everything doesn't go perfectly, and usually that's the case, even for the really uber successful companies, they, 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 have, they have their setbacks from time to time. Um, there's, there's just that, again, asymmetry in, in, the, in the value proposition where there's potentially far more downside than there is upside. So you've got Zip, you've got Afterpay, you've got, you know, they're just, they're appearing on the scene more and more and more. A lot of money sloshing around in the VC space to, to fund these, where then you have this issue potentially of irrational competitors who are happy to operate in uneconomic terms mm. as, they, as they fight for this land grab. Yeah. So, look, it, it's a $22 trillion global market. I was reading in Zip's presentation. It's massive. Someone's probably going to win it, and, and they're probably going to do very, very well. But what I would really encourage investors to do is a couple of things. Is One, don't just look at the positives. Look at the negatives. And you, you need to adjust things on a, a risk-adjusted basis to, to factor in the possibility that, that things um, don't go perfectly. The other thing I would say is if you are one of these true believers in this, and even if something like Zip goes really, really well over, over a 10-year time frame, even under that scenario, you're going to have very, very tough periods. You know, you're going to see, you're going to see shares down 40, 60% at some points in time. It could stay there for months. I mean, this is always the anatomy of, of, a, of a, a long-term successful company because it goes through all of these ructions. And the reality is most of us can't, aren't patient enough and most of us don't have the emotional temperament enough. Yeah. So mm. I would, I'm not buying at the moment. It's, it's just, it's just, it's too asymmetric, as I said. But if you are a buyer and you are a holder and, and your, and your investment thesis is based on that long-term view, be very prepared for, for a bumpy ride because it's guaranteed. Yeah, perfect. I couldn't have said it better myself. Now, folks, if you want to ask a question of our panelists, then remember, question at spotting.com.au. That's question, not questions. Uh, and the text number 0480-079-089. Just send those questions through and we'll answer them on air, of which actually at the moment we seem to be getting a few questions about some very small mining stocks. Uh, wasn't this, that's not my schooling, but somehow I've miraculously become well-versed in them, uh, only because a lot of people seem to be asking me about them. Must be that period in the cycle, gentlemen. Uh, starting with uh, uh, MDI, uh, MDI was actually asked by Kevin, um, who asked about it. Uh, look, you know, that's Middle Island Resources, actually, for those playing at home. Look, they've been awarded some prospective exploration tenements in the Barclay area in, in the Northern Territory, which is good. Now, they're also recommissioning what they have is, um, uh, what's it called? Sandstone, that's what it's called, a gold operation in WA. And that's really their main priority with a feasibility study actually due to be released later this year. So the location of these leases uh, in the Northern Territory though are also very highly uh, prospective. So that's the two part game you're playing with this, uh, particularly for copper and gold. Um, and they're, um, you know, in the neighbourhood of, you know, big names like Newcrest and Rio. So they may very well actually choose to lease the tenements out to them in order to maximise it whilst they focus on the sandstone project. But we'll have to wait and see. 
lot of, there's going to be a lot of volatility jumping around from this from an operational perspective well they're not making money as you know and therefore it's going to be basically the pr companies as well as the price of gold and copper that drive where that stock is and also for greg who asked about Gen- uh, genesis minerals not genesis resources that i talked about yesterday which is the north macedonian firm uh, gnd is their code and they're actually a gold explorer out of wa in between lenora and kalgoorlie uh, uh, which is actually a very prospective vein of gold through there and quite a few established producers from that region. And yes, uh, Greg, you're right. It's had some promising drill results for two reasons. One, the first uh, drill result at Archduke, uh, that prospect there. Um, it's uh, only acquired that property recently, so good signs that they were able to get something from that. And two, the results look like uh, they're coming from a shallow growth target, which would keep the cost down and further extension drilling in regards to that would obviously prove very fruitful. You would assume that's the assumption. Uh, they've got two uh, RC drills, uh, RC being reverse circulation for those not up to speed with the uh, acronyms. Uh, some uh, drilling rigs going out, uh, they're being deployed this week. More results are, are likely to come, but I caution everyone that there is likely to be a capital raise uh, coming soon if the results are very good. Now, the company is very optimistic, but you'd expect that, wouldn't you, Greg? Um, you know, if you've a bit, you know, if you're cynical in the share market, it tends to be a very profitable trait to have in the long run. Again, it's a bit of a toss of the coin. We wish them well, though, and we wish all shareholders well who engage in such activities. Just make sure it's an amount you're willing to lose and always sell a bit onto the drill in. Gentlemen, back to more traditional stocks. This question comes from Sharon. Uh, thank you for the kind feedback, Sharon. Gentlemen, you'll also be interested to know that Sharon said, could the show go for longer? Um, you'll be glad to uh, note that I batted back against that. 60 minutes is all we're asking you for. Uh, but her question uh, comes in relation to Star Pharma, code SPL. Uh, possible coronavirus nasal spray that kills the virus is one technology they're working on. And they've also got an agreement with Gilead uh, to, trans, uh, to transform remdesivir, a very well-known uh, drug, of course, uh, given the whole COVID uh, situation. Uh, into uh, an injectable instead of an intravenous uh, delivery method. Uh, it's had a big uh, run up in share price in the last few days. So, um, Andrew, SPL, are you familiar with the business? I'm not. I'm just bringing it up now, though. Um, and as you could probably guess, you know, no sales, only loss making. Um, it looks it looks as though they've got some interesting technology, but of course, as you were just saying a moment ago, hope springs eternal. You, you want to, in this market in particular, Ilio, um, mm. story and narrative is driving a lot, and and that's unavoidable. I mean, we, we need to wrap narratives around um, around these things, but but I'm I if I was to dive deeper into this, I would I would want to sort of understand that path to commercialization and what that looks like. Um, as a success, um, you, there's a lot of stocks that you know just mention mention coronavirus and some applicability to that and some benefit, and it tends to be enough to, to you know add add twenty thirty million dollars in market cap to it. So I'm just not I'm just not well versed enough in Star Farmer to have yeah. any um, intelligent to say. But but I would just I would and I'm not I'm not trying to suggest at all that the viewer is is coming in at such a, a simplistic level. But, but I would certainly want to, to draw a line with the business fundamentals from where they are now and to where they're expected to be and to see if that lines up with the reasonable expectation of price. Yeah, look, but Michael, I mean, a lot of the technology being spent in Meditech at the moment is not just in regards to the actual cure of cancer or cure of COVID-19 or 
whatever method there, or using stem cells like um, you know Mesoblast are doing with the, uh, they're now going to be doing trials of their Remis stem cell product here in Australia as well as overseas, and that looks pretty good because of the treatment of the acute, acute respiratory syndrome that they um, do pedal for that. But in regards to Star Pharma, I mean, you know, there's a lot of money being spent on improving the deliverability of drugs, right, to, to make it easier to get in there. So, you know, again, I'll ask you, do, are you familiar with SPL? And because of your unique perspective in regards to charts, it really has popped out, hasn't it? So I suppose when you see yeah. that sort of price action, what does that normally tell you, Michael? I mean, so far price action is is good. I mean, you know, it's jumped up. It, there's volume there. Although on yesterday's announcement, it did come back quite a bit um, intraday, and I think it's down slightly today okay. um, when the broader market is doing pretty well. Um, I'm not massively familiar with Star Farmer, but I know that they've been around a while and they they have been producing. Um, you know, they they do have revenue. I don't think there's any profit there yet, but they have been producing products. Um, with this unique, uh, I guess, uh, coating or whatever you call it, or this additive to to products to help um, um, basically fight viruses. So they've, I guess, this is a company that's that does have a history of producing um, this sort of antiviral gels or creams or whatever it is, uh, and now they're looking to adapt that technology to defeat. Um, you know, the, the coronavirus. So the first announcement they had last week, I noticed, was um, using their product within a spray, a nasal spray, um, that could basically help you, you know, stop uh, uh, getting the virus. So the virus basically doesn't um, attach itself to you. And 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 also this latest announcement yesterday, um, where instead of um, having the, uh, what was it called, the uh, red reservoir, I don't know how to pronounce it, um, at the moment, it's yeah that that thing. Um, as, <laughs> as you know, at the moment, it's only <laughs> it's only in this um, application. But if they can uh, use their product to allow um, you know nurses to deliver it just via a needle under the skin, then that's um, a lot better than the the current situation. So it's, I guess, look, with all these things, we just don't know if it's going to work out. Are they you know are they going to get the contract? Is it effective? Is it you know, are they going to make money from it? So it is still pretty binary. You know, it works great. Share price keeps going up. Doesn't work. Well, goes back to where it was. I guess the positive is this company's, you know, it's not some recent backdoor listing where they're just trying to jump on a bandwagon. They have, you know, they have a product they've been producing for a while. So there's probably a good chance something happens here. Um, but again, it's, you know, you just have to look at where the share price was before these announcements and, and say, well, that's my risk, essentially, if this doesn't work out. Otherwise, there could be upside. Uh, there could be some upside risk. What that what that is, you know, just pluck a number out of the sky. I mean, you, you, we just don't know. Yeah, no, a little, little bit tough. But hopefully, though, they are able to, not just for the shareholders' benefits, but for uh, our broader community's benefit as well. Michael, we'll be asking you for two stocks to help us see the light on in a moment. Before we cross to you for those, though, just one company. Look, this company's name is Adavale Resources. The code is ADD. And personally, I love it when viewers help me learn something. Uh, and I want to thank Richie, actually, for bringing ADD to my attention. Now, I thought this was actually a uranium stock. It was a uranium explorer, uh, actually, until I thought I'd do some pre-reading um, on it and actually found out it's not anymore. 
Um, it's actually had a board refresh and it's moved from uranium now through to nickel. Interestingly, they had a rights issue on the market to raise capital done under the previous board. Now that they've spilled the board and that there is actually um, a new um, board there, these rights were still being traded. They were renounceable. So you could actually buy and sell them on the stock exchange and be able to partake in that capital raising moving forward. Um, that's now closed, by the way. You can't go in and buy um, those uh, offer documents uh, or those, um, uh, those rights to buy the shares anymore. Okay, all right. So what happened? The board, the new board, pulled the capital raising. But it has withdrawn this capital raising following not only the commencement of raising that capital with those renounceable rights, but also the completion of the rights issues trading. So basically, people have been buying and selling these rights. It's now closed. And they've said, no, we don't need the money anymore, rendering those rights absolutely 100% useless. Now, I've never heard of a renounceable rights issue that's been cancelled like this. Yes, I've heard some that have been cancelled prior to hitting market, um, uh, but this one here really takes the case. Now, I'm not exactly sure if it's legal, to be honest with you. I don't have the time or interest really to look into the legals, um, but there's been no word from the company or the regulator, um, I'm told. Now, the price has gone up for ADD. Why? Because there's now no dilution and the nickel prospects look okay, but I suspect there's some more to play out. But thank you very much, Richie, for bringing it to my attention. I must admit, I uh, feel very sorry for those that uh, bought those rights. But um, yeah, you learn something new every day in the market, irrespective of being in it for 20 years. All right, Michael, it's time for you to step up to the plate and help us see the light on two stocks that we can toddle off and do some more research in, please, to see if they align with our investment objectives and tolerance to risk. No worries. Well, just a couple of household names. Um, but the first one, Fortescue, I just think this still has further to run. I know it's come a long way, but you know, in this, in this part of the cycle, um, with the economy bouncing back off um, the recessionary environment, commodity stocks tend to do well. I know there's people out there also concerned about um, inflation. Uh, if that's the case, you do want to be in hard, uh, hard commodities, doesn't necessarily have to be gold. So I think, I think the iron ore price, um, you know, can stay fairly well supported for the time being. And um, you just have to look at the way Fortescue's traded recently. It went ex-div a couple of days ago and it was up yesterday on a down day and, and it shot up again today. So this, this thing still has further to run. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be doing what like a lot of people do with with a stock like Fortescue when it trades really well is, you know, and try to sell into the strength. I think you just have to allow that trend to continue. Um, and the other stock that I think is worth buying, and uh, to be honest, I've never bought this before until the last few months, and that's Qantas. Uh, right. I just feel that there's a really good opportunity in the travel sector because everyone's a bit too focused on what's happening today and not where we'll be in 12 months or 24 months from now. Um, so clearly we're going down a path where things will get better and people will travel again, of course. Um, I guess the good thing about Qantas is it's pretty much not going anywhere. They've raised money. The government will back them. They're pretty much a monopoly. Uh, when people start flying again, uh, even if it's it'll obviously clearly being reduced numbers compared to pre-COVID, but you know, they'll get going again. Um, Qantas will benefit from that. And just the way it's been trading in the last um, few weeks, uh, it looks pretty well supported now. So it looks like the market's starting to come to the realisation that there's an opportunity here. I mean, maybe not too dissimilar to uh, post 9-11 attacks where you look back and think, geez, I could have picked up a few 
a few opportunities down at those levels. So uh, I think Qantas is worth a closer look. Okay, Qantas and Fortescue, QAN and FMG. All right then, folks, just a reminder, if you want to send those questions through, we're going to power through the last 20-odd minutes now of the show. So send them through, question at spotty.com.au or uh, text us uh, 0480 and we'll answer them. Remember, this is the last show of the week. Um, anything we don't get to answer, we will uh, hold over until next Monday. So send them through now to improve your chances of having them answered now. Uh, and remember to tell your friends too of the program because we'd always love to welcome new spotties on board as well. You can see past episodes at spotty.com.au and follow us on social media, including the new LinkedIn page. Uh, just uh, type in Spotty in your search there and LinkedIn, you'll get to taken to that page there. I won't be posting it on my personal page anymore. It'll, you'll need to follow Spotty in order to keep abreast of what's occurring if you're a LinkedIn fan. And yes, of course, all the recordings are on all your podcast channels and the like. Uh, and just a final word from our sponsor for the week, ShareWeld Systems. And remember, if you've taken the chance to have a look at their website, uh, you will notice that there is that key message that's being made at the moment, and that is that successful investing is a marathon, and it's not a sprint, like many speculators may be telling you at the moment. What we need to do is to be the tortoise in order to win the race of investing life, and it's something that ShareWealth Systems have been doing for over 25 years now. So please visit sharewealthsystems.com to have a look at all the content on their website. Make sure you read it carefully, though, because though they have a Australian Financial Services licence, they can't talk to you on a personal level about any of that content. You still need to make that decision or speak to an advisor who is licensed to provide you with that advice. And yes, remember, past performance is no indicator of future performance, but you don't end up in this game for over two decades by accident because luck is not a long-term strategy. Okay, so as we go to air, the market's still up 1.5% actually, so brushing aside the recessionary uh, concerns, but as we know, it was uh, something that was already baked in. Andrew, to you, and thank you very much for waiting patiently there. I've got my little timing off in regards to guests. I normally don't have that much of a break. Hopefully you had a cup of tea and a biscuit. Um, let's talk about New Farm, NUF. It's a stock that actually uh, gave a, an announcement uh, today. Uh, it said that uh, um, it was writing down some of its European assets. It's also given uh, some EBITDA guidance, which would appear on the surface to be above the market target because the stock's currently up 3.5% to $4.06 uh, at the moment. It's one that's had a bit of a checkered history. It still hasn't necessarily got blue skies on its horizon either. Um, Brian just basically wants to know our view on the business. I'm not sure if Brian's read today's announcement. If you haven't, Brian, please do so in order to uh, be informed of what's going on. But uh, Andrew, you farm from a general investment thesis perspective. Are you a fan? No, I'm not. No, I haven't looked at it closely for a while. Um, obviously, in this agribusiness space, is, 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 there's, there's a bit of a personal bias um, for me there. Um, the, it's just an incredible. Customers are, uh, are very um, uh, exposed to very cyclical factors. Um, it, it's a very difficult business. Um, and, and this is this is a company that's been around for a while, so you can kind of see how they've performed um, yeah. over time, and, and it's kind of it, it's evidence it's evidence of that. So, could things get better? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure they can. Um, it, it just doesn't look compelling enough for me. I think for me, I, I tend to take a, a pretty ruthless approach on the market. I, I look to hold really no more than 15, 20 stocks. And, and so the question I really think you need to be asking is not a question, is New Farm a terrible business? Is it a great business? It's, it's really, is it, 
is it one of those 20 best opportunities that's available for you today in terms of the business quality and its long-term outlook and the rest of it? And, you know, I, I, I don't know if it is. If, if the figures I'm looking at here are correct on Comsec, what, you've got a yield of 1% for a business whose earnings haven't been doing much, whose share price is where it was five years ago. Uh, you know, in fact, I should say and correct, it is below, well below where it was five years ago. Um, turnarounds rarely turn, um, doesn't mean it's impossible. There'll be a bunch of nuance and detail that's specific to what's happening now, and I'm not across all of that, but I'd, I'd want a pretty compelling reason to think that things are, the future is going to be significantly different from the past. No, fair point too. And of course, the glyphosate uh, uh, issues still continue to be an issue there. They just got to it's a little bit tough and it always has been for New Farm for whatever reason. Um, Michael, question that's come through, another very small business. Like I said, a few of the very small miners coming through. So possibly more of a technical an analysis view on this one now, if we could. Uh, Magnus Energy Technologies, MNS. It's in that whole lithium slash, you know, battery space. It's not actually one that I know all that uh, well. So, um, you know, and apologies for not uh, being across it uh, uh, Richie, but uh, definitely from a chart perspective, what's that price uh, telling you at the moment there, uh, Michael? Um, well, I guess if we zoom out and, and have a look at a five-year chart, you'll see that it's just been a, a huge destroyer of wealth. I mean, it's it looks like it's traded as high as about $1.10. Um, and then, you know, at the moment, it's around $0.19. Cents. So, um, it basically, it's just been a, in a downtrend that whole time. However... Um, over the last few months, it's had enough of a bounce that that I could I could say, well, that downtrend's over. Um, I don't think it's you know whether it enters an uptrend or not is a, is another is another story. But it may well just go sideways for a while. So I think the downwards pain, at the very least, is over. But whether you make money from here, yeah, who knows? I'm, look, at the end of the day, with lithium, I'm still quite. Um, negative on that as I have over the last few years because of the, the oversupply. Um, you know, the lithium price, it's improved a bit in the last few months. So a lot of these lithium stocks have, have jumped pretty well. Um, but I just still have, yeah, I'm just really just not sure if that um, if that's sustainable, to be honest, um, with lithium. So the way Magnus is trading, yeah, it's had a good bounce, but now it's just going sideways. So I think that, um, you know, there's not really too much more upside at the moment I could see. Yeah, I mean, look, the, that price chart you're looking at on screen there, folks, could really be any lithium miner. They all look very similar. There was a, a peak demand period uh, f a few years ago and then gradually fall, fell away and then many lithium producers went out of production because the price of lithium had fallen on the back of oversupply. And now the prices have rebounded a little bit thanks to Mr Musk, whose company now is worth more in market cap than all the car manufacturers listed together, yet I still don't see their cars on the road necessarily, but they're the future, we all know that. Um, it's a really interesting paradigm at the moment. Um, talking about people that like to talk their own book, I'll talk about this next company, it's Hot Chili, H-C-H. The reason why I said it, well, you'll know why I said that comment I did in a moment. Look, it's a gold and copper explorer and it's right out of Chile. And to be frank, the CEO, well, he's a great marketer. Um, and it doesn't surprise me that it's got a lot of interest. Um, the question's actually been asked by Ben, who also noted that it's getting a lot of coverage on Hot Copper um, at the moment. And Andrew, I know you'll have an opinion of that. Uh, lots of terms being thrown around with regards to HCH. Uh, 
you know, 500 million tonnes, 1 billion tonnes. This could be the next Escondida. This is the next Rio Tinto. Well, you know, one suspects that even if the result is massive uh, um, or even if the result misses expectations, you pretty much assume the headline's probably going to include the word massive in there somewhere anyway. Uh, I've got nothing else to really add um, other than get your popcorn and chock top out because something interesting is going to happen either way, either to the upside or the downside. Good luck to shareholders if you are um, holding the stock, but obviously it's something you do need to be aware of. One of the sage bit of advice I received from an old dust, dust kicker back in the day was that you should sell into the drill result to take some of the risk off the table because traditionally the price does go up on the drilling because everyone hopes that it's going to be a big announcement rather than waiting months and months before the rig is actually taken to site. So that's when the price is flat. Then you get the drill, so excitement builds. Often a good time to lighten the load to make sure you manage your risk because there have been a number that have disappointed over the many, many years that we've been digging up minerals on this planet Earth and, moon, and the moon soon to come. All right then, Andrew. Um, Heather has asked about Centre Group, SCG. Um, the old Westfield assets here in Australia she wants to know why the price has rebounded from its March lows. And, the re and her narrative, I'm assuming, so uh, apologies if I uh, step over the brief here, Heather, but basically I assume what she's meaning is, you know, COVID came in, all the shopping centres closed down. Here in Victoria, they're still all closed, although vicinity centres owns Chadston and, and a few others. So um, it's not necessarily the biggest centres here in Victoria, but still there is definitely reduced foot traffic. We saw Mosaic, who recently, though, apparently came to an agreement with Censure, though those details weren't released. I suppose we'll know in six months who caved in first. Um, you know, you've got this uh, phenomenon of everyone buying online. I mean, we've seen Temple and Webster, Redbubble, you know, the list goes on and on. And even though it's not at its previous high where it was before, she staggered that it's actually not at its all-time lows. Do you share that same sort of concern, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, look as a as a long term investor, one of the one of the real challenges you have is trying to separate and distinguish between what you might call structural factors and what you might call cyclical factors. So a business like this is always going to have good and bad years, just as the economic cycle goes up and down, as you have good sales results from your customers and and, and etc. Um, it's just there's a natural variability, even under stories that, that are very um, successful ultimately. But with, what's happening here is something that I'd argue is probably more structural and a, and a structural change that was probably in train for years before COVID hit, but, but COVID has kind of accelerated that. Um, and and that, is, that is a bit of a concern. I mean, Ma Michael said before, we've got to look past the, the, the virus and we do. Um, in, investing is really trying to figure out what something's worth by estimating all of its future cash flow. So you can't, you can't get too obsessed about what's happening quarter to quarter. Um, except for what it might be able to tell you about the, the longer term prospects of the business. So, look, this isn't worth zero. They're, 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 these are these are real hard assets that will have a use and will generate cash flows for a long, long time. Um, is that reflected in the current price accurately? Um, I don't know. That's that's a kind of question that, frankly, for someone like me, I, I'll spend days trying to trying to answer that question. So I'm not going to. I'm, I'm I'm reluctant to give an off the cuff sort of um, mm. answer on that. But I would go back to your initial comments, Ilio, and just it, because it's so often, if not always, the question, which is such and such has gone up or down. Why is that? And, and I, I just I think it's the wrong question um, to ask. I mean, the, the short answer is it's done that way because the market perceptions and sentiment has changed. Um, but what's more interesting is the factors behind that and whether or not they're realistic. 
And if you believe that the market is always right, well, then you have a perfectly efficient market. None of us should be doing anything except buying ETFs. So and if you don't have that view, then why are you letting the market inform you in, in this kind of way? So I don't know what the market is doing. The market can do some really dumb things for really, really extended periods. But I'd be trying to sort of have a look at their, their assets. This is a business that's performed pretty well historically. It's never a fast-growing business. But what does growth look like when things get back to normal? How does, uh, what's the absolute level of earnings and how does that go forward? I'd be, of the, I'd be of the kind of investor who'd try to take some very low-ball conservative assumptions and see if I can make a case under that scenario, mm. which means that, and then buy it under a margin of safety further, which means that even if things don't go too well, I can still do okay as an investor with a little bit of upside if things go better than I want, rather than as we were talking about at the start of the program, which is everyone buying everything, expecting only, only, the, the, only perfection w will occur. <laughs> Um, but this, this shouldn't be zero. Um, there's, 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 a lot of, there's a lot of good quality assets here, but it's, it's right to be well below where it was at the start of the year. All right then, Andrew, we're going to tap you for those two stocks to see the light on in a moment. But before we do, our last formal question uh, for today goes down to young Josh. And Josh, uh, Michael, wants to know about a stock that's had a pretty significant pullback in the last few days. It's one of the WAX acronym. It's APN. The code is APX. It had a pullback quite strongly uh, over the two days after it released its announcement. Its price is somewhat settled now. And I think, you know, um, he's probably asking the perspective. He may very well believe in that long-term view of the company. And he's thinking, is the worst over? Is it safe for him to stick his neck out in regards to Appen, given that it's now well and truly off its 40-odd dollar high that it had achieved prior to the result? So, Michael, do you have a view on Appen and that price action What's your take on what's occurring there? Has it finally settled down now, um, or is it possibly the eye of a storm? Look, I, I like the business. This is one that um, that that we've got clients in. Um, it ran pretty hard coming into the result, and um, and the result basically put it back to where it was just a couple of weeks prior. So I think around these levels, uh, this seems to be pretty good support for it. So uh, the market seems to be happy to buy it around these current prices. We have to remember it did go ex-dividend, I think it was yesterday. So, um, you know, that contributed to a little bit of weakness there. But yeah, it looks, seems, seems to be supported here, which means, um, you know, if you're waiting for much cheaper levels, I don't think you'll necessarily get it. Um, I think this is sort of thereabouts. Uh, and I think it will continue with that uptrend. Um, it might not happen so quickly, um, often when a, when a stock reports uh, and does drop, uh, you find that um, you know all the news is out. So there's therefore not much more of a catalyst for it to um, to increase. You usually need a little bit of bit of water under the bridge, and then um, people start to look at it again. So I don't think there's a huge rush to buy it here. I'd, I'd be happy to buy it here, um, but if you wanted to watch it for another couple of weeks, I don't think it'll get away from you. Um, and I don't think it's going to get much cheaper either. So in a nutshell, yeah, these are pretty pretty good levels for the longer term. Yeah, and look, you know, stuff happens, right? I mean, yeah, pardon the pun. I mean, just ask, just ask Victorian citizens. We'll tell you how uh, bad things can get um, in the short term. But in the longer term, it is still a solid business. Um, it still grew. It still did the right things, just as Andrew keeps reiterating those lofty expectations. If it misses them, you can have these pull, uh, pullbacks. But for proactive investors, guess what that does? Creates a better opportunity to buy a great business at a cheaper price, um, which is just a wonderful scenario to be in. Uh, and no one's suggesting that Appen's technology is not going to be used anytime soon 
by the mega uh, companies that are out there. All right, then, Andrew, it's time for you to help us see the light on two stocks. What companies would you like to put on our radar at the moment that we can toddle off and do a little bit more research on in order to determine whether they align with our investment objectives and tolerance to risk? Yeah, no worries, Ilio. Um, it's, it's getting harder and harder to find good good value uh, these days, particularly if you've got a tech bias as I do. But I think Hanson, uh, the yeah. ASX code HSN, is a very attractive one. They had a really solid result recently. Revenues up thirty percent, uh, net profit uh, up about thirty four percent. You know, really, really strong uh, results. These guys do uh, soft billing software, client management software for utilities uh, companies. So very tightly integrated into client systems, super sticky revenues, and surprise, surprise, massively resilient in the face of COVID because you know their, their customers continue to need their product. Um, the thing to be mindful of with Hanson is that this is growth by acquisition. That's very much their stated strategy. They've been executing it phenomenally well for a long, long time, but, but there are risks uh, with that. Um, but interestingly, again, I think this is a business where the market really sort of woke up to, to things, I think, when the results came out. But um, again, you don't need to assume much, much growth and, and, and much market uh, exuberance for this thing to make sense when you look two to three years down the track. So I think that's a good one uh, to have a look at. Mm. Um, another one is Jumbo Interactive. Uh, these yep. are the guys that do uh, lottery ticket resellers. I mean, you know, only 28% of lottery tickets are sold online in Australia. They're the largest player. They've been growing phenomenally. They've had a whole bunch of uncertainty removed now that they've struck a 10-year agreement uh, with TATS, um, which I think is a really a, a really good move, even though, uh, albeit at lower margins, I think it just removes a, a big risk for them. But the real powerhouse here is is going to be the SaaS business. They've got a white-labeled product for anyone who wants to sort of run a, an online lottery distribution business, and that's going really strongly uh, as well. In fact, that's going to be around about a quarter of, of sales once the, the integrations they've got happening now are underway. Beautifully strong balance sheet, $60 million in available cash just sitting there. Um, uh, net margins of 35% is a killer of a business. And um, and I, I don't think that there's, I can't see anything out there that, that is that is likely to sort of um, knock them off this trajectory. Like, like movie businesses, like they have good years and bad based on, you know, um, what's being put out in the market. So when you have a lot of uh, high, high value uh, lotteries, um, they get a lot more ticket sales. And so there's going to be some variability in that. But just standing back, I mean, they're, they're expecting to double their tra uh, total transaction volumes in the next three years. And, and they're certainly on, the, on a run rate to be able to do that. So again, it's, it's one of these, you know, tech oriented business, good runs on the board, uh, good historical historical growth, very strong balance sheet, but unlike a lot of other companies, it, it doesn't it doesn't have ridiculous expectations priced into mm -hmm. it. In fact, when I've tried to price it, I've assumed that they're going to fall you know short of their of their um, ambitions in terms of TTV. So it looks interesting, and I think it's one worth a, worth a closer look. Yeah, I mean, sure, folks, you're not able to buy it at around the seven odd dollar mark, which is the lower got to when all that uncertainty around not only COVID but the TATS deal was floating around, but you're still getting it at a much cheaper price than the 27 odd dollar mark, which was its peak that it experienced within the last 12 months. So on that note, gentlemen, we're also going to end on a peak. Uh, that's all we have time for today. So first, thank you to Andrew Page from The Straw Man for your contribution today. And remember, folks, strawman.com is the website if you want to join Australia's largest real investment community. 
and also Michael Gable from Fairmont Equities. Thank you for your amazing insights today and for helping us see the light um, on Spotty this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, Elio. Thank you, Andrew. Good to see you again. And remember, folks, fairmontequities.com. So both strawman.com and fairmontequities.com. And as Michael alluded to, there's a whole range of free resources that he makes available to everyone that you can go through and subscribe to and have them come to your inbox. If you love this stock market stuff like I do, it'll be a pleasure to actually get through. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Next Monday, we have our Pointera man, 3DP, Simon Bonds coming into the studio. He's going to tell us another one. Oh, well, I won't put that pressure on him. From Morgan's Financial, of course. And uh, Braddon Gardner from Trade Direct 365. He was on recently to help me uh, fill in a spot that I'd lost the last minute guest. And he's back on his regular schedule. And he'll be uh, on the program to take us through the charts and those key levels to watch. Thanks again to all of you, an amazing number, 100,000 views of our content over the last month alone. Um, the success of the program has been down to you and your commitment to your portfolios and your willingness to share your stories with us. Also, given that it is a few days till our next show, we love those video questions, folks. So we've got one lined up for next week as well. But if you want to send yours through and have your 20 seconds of fame, do so. Just remember, take them in horizontal mode. Thanks again to our sponsors, ShareWealth Systems. Remember, go to sharewealthsystems.com to see their new website and learn how they help investors every single day. Thanks, Ticker, for letting us take an hour of prime time. Thanks, Mike, for pushing all the right buttons when you needed to. Stay tuned for the Ben Robin Robbo Show, folks. And until next week, where hopefully we learn when Stage 4 in Victoria is going to end, and I really need a haircut badly, otherwise I'm going to look like... I'm going to look like, uh, you know, Jimmy Page by the end of this week and uh, next week. Um, I'm Elio D'Amato, folks. You've been watching Spotty and together we've been having a laugh and shining the light on shares. Take care. Stream us live on the Ticker app, Apple TV, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and tickertv.com.au. Ticker. Streaming news now.